Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. This week, we're playing some of our favorite shows from our archives. And today, we'll listen back to our show on TikTok, a video sharing app that was once under threat of shutdown after ex-President Trump tried to ban it from U.S. app stores. But the social platform beat back the ban with legal challenges and then saw its popularity soar. We hear from TikTok creators Nick Cho, Taylor Cassidy, and others about what they think drives TikTok's growth and about the community they found on the app along the way. That's all next on Forum after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The video sharing app TikTok has so much random content that it's easy to get drawn in by the absurdity. And then before you know it, as I learned last night, you spent way too much time watching short looping videos of lip syncs, dance routines, personal storytelling, or just weird, goofy skits. This partly explains why the app, which has 700 million monthly users, has taken off, especially among Gen Z. Forum intern Leslie Cosme-Torres has some other theories. She co-produced today's segment and joins me now. Leslie, hey. Hi, thanks for having me. First, let's play one of your favorite TikToks. And this is a video of a person scrolling through a device and playing music snippets. I want to give our listeners a sense of what TikTok is if they haven't been on it yet. The caption for this video of this person scrolling is, quote, growing up as a Latina emo and listening to music. So here's TikToker at Vampirita. I'm free All right. So, Leslie, you commented on this video. First, what did you say? How did you engage with it? 
Yeah, so <laughs> I I thought this was a really like specific niche niche interest. I commented, OMG, there's more of us because I, I was just thinking of when I was in middle school and when I would scroll through my iPod and there'd be my chemical romance, Paramore, Panic at the Disco, but then there would also be like Daddy Yankee, Winston Yandel, Don Omar. And I always felt, and so I commented, OMG, there's more of us because growing up, it was really hard to find people who liked my specific niche interest. And I was always, I always felt like I was the only one, like I was too white to be Hispanic and I'm too Latino to be white. And so everyone else was commenting, yeah, like I felt like this in middle school, I always felt like so alone. And so like little did I know, I was like talking to all of these strangers about this commonality we had about our music interests. And what did finding this niche interest mean for you? Um, I mean, it like I still feel like I struggle with my identity and not feeling like I'm Latino enough. And so like it felt really just like rewarding that there are these people that felt like exactly like I did. And it took me 22 years to find people that that were. Do you think that that's part of the reason so many people started using TikTok during the the pandemic, this this way of finding community in places you needed it, but also you were able to find it in these really specific ways. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think so, especially with the stay at home order, like people weren't going out and socializing. And so this was probably the best way that people could connect with strangers like all over the world. Um, and that's definitely why, why I joined Well, I joined. Cause I was like, what is the, what is TikTok? And like, yeah, I definitely like it worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you joined because you were just curious about it initially. Like, what is this thing that people are talking about? Yeah, initially. And then like hours after getting it, I had spent like four hours on it. And I was like, okay, so this works. <laughs> the four hours just flew by. This is something that I had heard a lot. And then, like I said, experienced for myself last night. <laughs> We're like, oh my gosh, how much, how is it possible this much time has passed? So there's <laughs> another video that spoke to you, which I want us just to describe because unfortunately there are too many expletives in it that we weren't able to play it but it's basically a guy eating his lunch and nodding as his friend yells at him and the caption reads when you get roped into having lunch with that one friend who's the perpetual victim and is basically miserable to be around <laughs> so so why did this video resonate with you leslie yeah, so it resonated with me because I feel like I'm a pretty empathetic person. Like if you come to me super angry or super upset about something, like I'm there screaming and crying with you. Um, but in this instance where the person's like really miserable and complaining all the time, I feel like I take that energy on. And after the meetup, I'm like really drained and miserable. And so that's basically what I commented. And like shortly after like me and 200 strangers were like we have to like let these friends go we have to stop telling ourselves that we need to hang out with them and <laughs> i felt very supported in that moment <laughs> yeah feeling seen and supported really matters um even in small ways you also highlighted uh this very short video uh where somebody does a tiktok on preferring texts over phone calls. And we should actually play a little bit of that. It's, uh, it's a TikTok that you said you would make your voicemail if you weren't a journalist. So here's TikToker at It's Michael Davis. If you can type it in a message, don't call my name. 
<laughs> can you just describe this this TikTok a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, um, well, I can talk about like what resonated with me. So basically the guy, it's like, there's like disco and there's a bunch of like lights and it really resonated with me because I can't tell you the amount of times people like call me when it could have been something they could have just texted me. And I, and I feel specifically this is to like Zoom school. So like, I feel like there have been too many Zoom meetings that could have been just a message or mm. too many phone calls that could have been a text. And I was seriously considering <laughs> making that my voicemail, but you know, I'm a journalist, so that would be rude. <laughs> so at this point, how much time do you think you spend on TikTok on average? Right. Um, so like every every night I go on TikTok after like a long day of work or something. And I feel like I spend like a good like three hours, but that's being like generous. And that's on a work day um, because it's, I feel like it's the only social media app where I can be like happy. And, you know, it's not like political or it's not like news. It's, it's just funny things. Well, <laughs> or- I re- yeah, well, I really appreciate that you push us to explore it today. So Leslie Cosmetores, TikTok user, student at UC <laughs> Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism and a forum intern. Thanks so much, Leslie. Thanks for having me. I want to bring into the conversation now Rebecca Jennings, a reporter covering pop and internet culture for the goods by Vox. Rebecca Jennings, welcome back to Forum. Thank you so much for having me. You know, as I'm listening to Leslie talk about how much time she spends on the app, it really is no accident that TikTok is this addictive, right? Can you tell us what happens when someone goes on the app and why it keeps you there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think the most important thing to know about TikTok is that it differs from other social media apps and platforms that we use in the sense that you don't really have to follow anyone on TikTok in order to have like the TikTok experience. You basically, when you start an account, you log on and TikTok's going to show you probably like the biggest viral video hits from the past, like, I don't know, last couple of weeks. And then as you scroll and, you know, maybe if you spend a lot of time watching one video and then you like another, you comment on another, you share another, it's going to log all of that information and then keep showing you more of that and show you more of what people that liked those things liked. Um, And I think that one of the main differences also is, um, you know, you don't really go on TikTok to like connect with your friends. You go on TikTok to connect with strangers Um, and and the the algorithm, which is like the most um, kind of significant part of TikTok's uh, um, like whole thing um, is that it doesn't really look at what your friends are doing as opposed to like Instagram or Facebook kind of looks at you and you're like, okay, they kind of put you in this demographic. They're like, this is what your friends like. This is what your family likes. So this must be what you like. TikTok is very much like, oh, this is what you like based on literally what buttons you push on the screen. Yes. And then it just curates for you things that they think you would like and then over and over again. And then the next thing you know, you're watching a ton of videos of things for a really long time. I think the other thing that's really appealing about it is my understanding is that it's just so easy to shoot and edit a video and put it on the platform straight from your phone. And that's one of the things that distinguishes it from, say, like YouTube. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at like the biggest YouTubers, they, you know, they put in years of experience, they usually have like pretty fancy cameras and stuff. And they've built over built subscriber bases over years, whereas on TikTok, you can literally just make a front facing, you know, camera video, one that you would send a friend and post it, and then you can get like 100,000 followers overnight, literally. Um, that's, that's one thing that makes it hugely, hugely different from any other social platform that we've seen so far. Um, and that's another thing that keeps people there because they're like, what if I get famous? 
And a lot of people have gotten famous. I mean, people who are lesser known, as you say, can get a huge following with relatively, at least initially, minimal effort. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's it's so the, the barrier of entry is so much lower, and that's that's had a really democratizing effect on fame and celebrity. And we're still starting to see the effects of that. I think one of the things I was so struck by too was the fact that TikTok has a function to tell you to log off. How did this come about? Was there pressure on TikTok <laughs> yeah, to do this? And it's, it's funny because everyone absolutely hates that feature. It's like, oh my God, I hate the guy that shows up and like makes me log off. So it's, it, it triggers after about an hour. Um, and once, once it's there, it, you're, you're like, oh God, I've been scrolling TikTok for an hour and it probably only felt like 15 minutes. Um, yeah. And, and from the beginning, it, they were, you know, pretty aware that like, oh, people are spending like way too much time on this. And it's like making us an enemy of parents and teachers and whatever. And so, so my guess is that, you know, they don't want to burn people out on TikTok. They want people to um, enjoy it in a healthy way. But it, it's kind of it's kind of like the social media company's dream to have to have one of those warnings like, hey, we love that you're spending so much time because our algorithm is so genius. But like, y'all got to log off. <laughs> and we tried to give listeners a flavor of what was on there through some of Leslie's favorite um, TikToks. But can you just help us understand the range um, and how <laughs> random it is. Oh, totally. I mean, I've been, ex I think everybody that uses TikTok is exposed to a part of the internet and a part of humanity that we've never would have come across otherwise. Um, I, I think one of the big ones recently was like sea shanties. It was like, I was never aware that people still sang sea shanties, but apparently they do. And it's this very small niche community that kind of blew up on TikTok for a little bit. And because, because of whatever like quirks in the algorithm, people saw that they were like, oh, that's cool. And then they sort of scrolled on by into the next thing. Um, like the amount of like fan fiction stuff and like just random pockets of like a firsthand account of, you know, a, there was a boat chase that went viral and it was like, is this a, a cartel? Like it was very confusing. Um, and, and so you're just exposed to way, way more things than you would be because you don't have to go looking for them. Well, we're coming up on a break. We're talking about TikTok's popularity and how it's become an internet home for many who were in search of community this past year. I'm talking with Rebecca Jennings, a reporter covering pop and internet culture for the goods by Vox. And you, our listeners, are welcome to join us. Do you use TikTok? What do you like about it? Have you watched a TikTok and felt seen like Leslie? Or uh, maybe you see TikTok shared on other social networks and have enjoyed them that way and have heard the words TikTok but still don't get the hype. Ask us your questions. 866-733-6786 is the number. Again, 866-733-6786. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about TikTok, which was almost banned, and now its popularity has soared in the past year. And we're exploring why this social video sharing app has taken off. And joining me now is Taylor Cassidy, a popular TikToker and digital content creator. As we were talking before the break, people have gotten very big for absurd things, but also really thoughtful and informative things like Taylor Cassidy's TikToks. And before I bring her on, 
I'm going to play one of them. These, these are Ca- Taylor Cassidy's TikToks on black history. Here we go. And ain't you kind of gay when you hear me say I love you or tell me, baby, or ain't you? Oh, what's this I see? Betty Boop was inspired by a black woman. That's right. Let me introduce you to Esther Jones, who performed at the Cotton Club as baby Esther. But then this one lady named Helen Kane saw her performing in jazz club and she was like, oh my God, I think I'm about to steal. So this lady started performing with Esther Jones' vocal style and performance style. And when the cartoon came out, Miss Girl tried to sue the cartoonist for stealing her style. And so in the courtroom, they found out about Esther Jones and they ruled against her. Miss Girl is giving cultural appropriation. Betty Boop was inspired by Esther Jones. So give her her flowers. That's Taylor Cassidy, who's grown a following over 2 million people interested in her content, which includes highlighting bits of Black history. As you just heard, Taylor Cassidy, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you being on. I mean, what first drew you to TikTok? Well, at first I wasn't going to get the app because I saw it as like a fad, a trend. And, you know, eventually with more and more people joining the app, I decided to join. And what I found was really this place of young people being so creative and so connected to their audiences and communities that it was, it was inevitable that I started creating myself. What made you decide to use it to spotlight Black history? I have always been such a big nerd for Black history, specifically (laughs) because it's not taught um, thoroughly in schools. And so my parents have always, Mm. from my childhood, surrounded me with it. And so when it came to TikTok and I wanted to share my interest, uh, Black history was just a no-brainer. And I wanted to do it in my voice, my way, and with my own creativity. And your platform has evolved. How have you chosen to use it? And can you talk a little bit about that evolution? Absolutely. Um, In the beginning, it was definitely strictly for fun. And uh, I started creating Black History videos, mainly um, February 2020 for Black History Month. And I think I saw the biggest evolution during the summer whenever BLM protests started uh, gaining traction getting more um, popular and public viewing, where I saw the strong need for these videos to not only teach about the history, but teach about the relevance in our present and how we can act to uh, better our future. Do you feel like it, it is a place of real community building? I mean, what kind of community have you built with your following on TikTok? And does it feel like a real place to go to, to nurture the things that you need? I think TikTok is a great, great place to find a community, but it's also bittersweet in that you can also find a lot of communities that are hateful, they're not welcoming. So it's like both sides, it's like different sides of a coin. For me, I've found a community that is so open to learning and so open to um, challenging their own beliefs and thoughts that I feel welcome coming with my own interests and my own perspectives, especially with Black history and how it relates today. Um, And because I have that kind of community, I feel, uh, you know, stronger and more assured in myself to speak out against those other communities that do, uh, you know, spread hate. 
Well, we have this one question from a listener, Zach, who asks, what's been the most rewarding part of being a TikTok creator? What would you say to Zach? Great question. That's such a great question. I think the most rewarding part has been being able to create every single day about things that I want. Mm. I have gone through such a journey of learning how to hone my own voice for me first and not for um, others first. And that reward of creating and spreading good, impactful content um, without the need for like views and the pressure to, you know, reach a certain amount of people has given me such a security and um, so a solid belief in my own identity mm-hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't trade it for anything else. And is that why partly after high school, you decided to make a full-time career as a content creator and building? Oh, out? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What's next for you before I let you go? Last question. I am graduating two weeks from now from high school and I will be working on my YouTube. I create black culture content on there as well. I'm going to be, you know, full out on social media. I'll be taking a gap year. Like you said, taking a full-time position as a content creator and I will be uh, making magic. Wow. Well, congratulations. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Taylor Cassidy, a popular TikToker and digital content creator, and her account is at Taylor Cassidy J. Uh, and let me again remind listeners that we are talking about TikTok, its popularity, how it became an internet home for people in search of community, and we're asking you to tell us your TikTok experiences. And let me go first to Stephanie in Napa. Hi, Stephanie. Hi there. Hi. What do you want to say? I find it actually hysterical that we just were following the uh, addiction with the Purdue Pharma with TikTok special (laughs) because I had to delete my app six months ago. I found that I was losing hours of my life to adorable puppies and little babies and people dancing. And I just said, oh, my God, I I can't do this anymore. (laughs) So the addiction for you is real, huh, Stephanie? (laughs) It's remarkable. And I turned my sister onto it and she cursed me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing your experience, Stephanie. You're welcome. Let me go next to Stuart in Palo Alto. Hi, Stuart. Hello. How are you? I'm well. So what's your TikTok experience? Well, I... I started about seven weeks ago, and as as a creator, because I went, I'm a writer, and I went to a seminar with my publisher, and they said everybody needs an online presence, otherwise we can't support you, which scared the heck out of me. And so I tried Twitter, that was very nasty. I tried what's the other one, Instagram. I didn't make any headway in that, and then I went to TikTok, which I thought was just for kids, and started to create content. And lo and behold, people like these stories that I'm telling in 57 seconds. And uh, I'm now an official creator. I have over 10,000 followers in seven weeks. And people are generally very supportive. 
very sweet. And then there are people who put up their own TikToks. It's very do-it-yourself, uh, not over-polished. And I like the community a whole bunch. And I'm doing what my publisher wants. I'm creating a social media presence. <laughs> so you're you're doing a lot with TikTok. Stuart, thanks. And, and Rebecca Jennings, what Stuart is talking about is something that I've heard you discuss and other people that it feels like a slightly more joyous social platform than, say, Twitter <laughs> or Facebook even sometimes. Yeah, I think any social media app is more joyous than Twitter, but <laughs> with, with TikTok especially, it's I, I think people get to see the reality behind something that they may otherwise have only seen as like a text post or a really well-crafted YouTube video. I think um, the, the last speaker was exactly right. It feels more DIY and more, you know, like like you're FaceTiming a friend. So you develop these like parasocial relationships where it's, you know, it's, it's a lot hard to say something mean in the comments when you're like responding directly to someone's video that they're kind of pouring their heart out or just being normal you know it's 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 harder to take that kind of stuff out of context and again rebecca jennings is a reporter covering pop and internet culture for the goods by vox and you our listeners if you want to share how you use tiktok what you like about it or watched a tiktok and felt seen by it you can do so at 866-733-6786 again 866-733-6786 you can also post your thoughts on twitter or facebook at kqed forum email your questions to forum at kqed.org if you are not familiar with tiktok feel free to also let us know what your questions are and and uh, let me read Marianne's comment, which is, you would be amazed at how many ex-Mormons and ex-evangelicals are finding community in, quote, deconstructing their faith while in their phase called faith transition. It shows anger, facts, comedy, and lots of feelings. The support they all feel for each other is amazing. Necessary s support for those of any age. And speaking of those of any age, let me go to Voe in Berkeley. Hi, Voe. Welcome. Hi. It's Zoe with a Z. Oh, Z. Okay, great. It's just written on my phone tree, I think, with just a slight typo. So thank you for correcting me. I really appreciate it. Zoe from Berkeley, what do you want yeah. to say? Um, I think TikTok is a very nice app. It's pretty addicting. And my brother also has a TikTok. And I've seen that he has, like, some non-kid-oriented things on there. And on my, my TikTok, I haven't seen a lot of, like, things like that. But I'm kind of worried I will see those things. Huh. But it's a nice app. And I enjoy, like, posting stuff with my friends. And, like, I like communicating. But I think it is really addicting. And, like, I've had other apps. Like, I just downloaded Snapchat a few days ago. But I don't think that was a good decision either. Like, I'm getting too caught up in, like, this media stuff so I, I think that I should probably quit that type of stuff hmm. but yeah well Zoe I'm so glad you shared those reflections because Rebecca Jennings anytime you have something with a lot of teens or preteens on it for hours it feels like there's a potential there's potential for a lot of downsides which I think Zoe is touching on Oh, absolutely. I think with any kind of like algorithmically generated content, you get the sense that like everyone in the world is like this really cool TikTok creator and you're the only one who's like sitting at home staring at their phones. When of course it's the opposite. It's like only, you know, like the, the tippy top, like the coolest videos, the prettiest people, they are the ones that you see on your for you page. And so I think in that way, it can, at the same time that it builds a lot of community, I think it can also make people feel a bit lonely and less than. Um, and, and yeah, and I think it's just one of those things where, especially for, for kids who maybe like have one viral hit, 
and then they get really excited and then it kind of goes away. They, they were like, well, what happened? What did I do? And where, what they're really complaining about is like, you know, it's an algorithm, but it's, it's, but it's like people's identities are so tied up in it. So it, so you're right. It can be like, I, I, I do have a lot of worries, especially with kids. And then in addition to that, they are, there are a lot of people sharing a lot of information about themselves, showing, you know, where they are, sharing their names, those kinds of things. Have you heard stories about it being used in a way that exploits kids in negative and terrible ways? So yeah, that was a really big deal when TikTok first came out in, in 2018. And so TikTok emerged from this app called Musical.ly, which was pretty much exclusively middle schoolers and high schoolers. It was a very, very like youth-oriented app. And so even, even on Musical.ly, there were cases of kids accidentally putting where they went to school and, you know, creeps DMing them and asking for their phone numbers and, and kids not really knowing any better and giving it to them. And there was, I believe there was some arrests made. This this has happened before. And I think it happened with early TikTok as well. I haven't seen that as much yet. I think um, a, a lot of, you know, like the worst case scenario stuff are people who, you know, are are dying because of, you know, a TikTok trend or, or doing something harmful to themselves because, you know, they might feel less than based on, you know, what they see on social media. Mm. One of the things that uh, you've talked about a lot is sometimes that creepy feeling from TikTok that it knows more about you than you do. (laughs) 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 Can you talk about what that is? And, And also, if you wouldn't mind connecting it with music and musical tastes, because I feel like there's a really big connection there in terms of how this all can kind of work together. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that it, that it's so good at keeping you on there because it does get to know you so much better than, you know, like even your friends, like even your partners, because what you like to watch on TikTok really has nothing to do with the, with your outside world. It has everything to do with your internal. World. And so and, and, and to, to that point, the more time you spend on TikTok, the more time you'll want to spend on TikTok because it gets to know you. And I think like one of the things I think about a lot is how so me and my friends um, had a talk a, a couple months ago and how like. We, I, I was putting on a playlist and they were like, this is my exact playlist. And I'm like, oh yeah, because it's all songs I've heard on TikTok. And it's like, it gets the spend on it, like these songs and these snippets of audio get in your brains. And when you look at like the billboard charts right now, it's all songs that blew up on TikTok. And it's like, that is coincidence. <laughs> and then there's, it also tracks the music you like, right? Which is information that, that can be really useful to musical artists. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cycle goes both ways. So I think the the, the best case is uh, from a Bloomberg report on what happened with Megan Thee Stallion's Savage. And so, th- so the record company worked with TikTok to, you know, we were like, they were like, we want to promote Megan on TikTok for like, you know, paid marketing stuff. And they wanted the single to be Captain Hook, which was like one of her songs in the same album. And TikTok was like, no, let's wait and see like drop the album and then will and then what they did was they saw what what audios or what songs that users were saving to use later and then they and then they realized that it was savage it wasn't captain hook that people were saving to use and so they knew that song was going to blow up and so they were like no you got to put your money on savage because that's the thing that's going to blow up and so there's this this continuous like you know self-fulfilling cycle that's happening with the music industry and with tiktok and as as TikTok gets better at knowing what people want to listen to, the music industry will follow. And there's always concerns about companies in Silicon Valley, for example, about how much data they collect on you, privacy worries and things like that. In this particular case, TikTok is an app that is owned by a company based in China. 
has that sort of upped the concerns to some extent? And is it fair considering just how big all of these companies are? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's completely fair considering, you know, we we should be concerned what every social media company is doing with our data and our privacy and the limits of that. Um, The concern that it's that it's based in China comes from the fact that uh, China has a law in among its government that, you know, if they if they say they want to, they can just kind of take over a company, they can demand, you know, data from it. And then, you know, the the, because because America has obviously like a a lot, a, a much different approach to privacy and surveillance as, as China. And that's, that's a concern. TikTok has said, you know, it won't like China's never done that. Like we'll never, like we won't do that if they ask us, but you know, that's just one of those risks that you take on any social media app. And I think, I think more so than, you know, information sharing from what I've heard from, you know, privacy specialists is, is what possibly could be going on with like moderation and censorship where, you know, TikTok has been known to work with certain governments in different countries about suppressing like LGBTQ content and suppressing critical content of the government there. And so, and, and it's common on the app They people talk about all the time, like, Hey, I don't want to like use this word because I'm worried it gets, I'm worrying it's going to get taken down. Black creators especially have been like TikTok absolutely takes down black creators content much more than white creators for like literally no reason. So, so I, I have some major concerns on that front. Well, Jordan writes, wow, I am, underwhelmed by 99% of the content on TikTok, but Taylor Cassidy sounds wonderful and gives me hope for the world. I hope she inspires more like her. Rebecca Jennings, you wrote in your piece that this August, TikTok will mark three years since it launched in the U.S. and became the first ever Chinese-owned app to fully penetrate the American market. What do you see as its future? I I think that TikTok has already proven that it's going to become one of, you know, the big social media internet companies. I think it's going to be up there with Facebook, up there with Google, Amazon, et cetera. Um, I I just have never personally seen an algorithm that gets to know users faster and with such like accuracy ever on on the internet. Um, And I and I think it's it's influence on fame culture and pop culture and business and politics and everything is just going to continue to grow. Rebecca Jennings, reporter for The Goods by Vox. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. After the break, we're going to go deep with a new, with a, with TikToker Nick Cho. So stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've been talking about TikTok's popularity and how it's become an internet home for many who were in search of community this past year. And joining me now is a San Francisco coffee shop owner who has become a TikTok star as your Korean dad. Nick Cho, welcome to Forum. 
Hi, Mina. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you here. And just as the name sounds, your TikToks, are you being a dad to your followers, right? Doing ordinary dad things like, like going grocery shopping and things like that? Yeah, that's right. I started making content at the end of 2019. And just over a year ago, it was when I started making, you know, what we call like your Korean dad content. I thought, you know, Korean culture is, you know, as we know, very popular worldwide these days, whether it's food or K-pop, K-dramas, things like that. So mm -hmm. I thought there would be that kind of appeal. I did sort of have this kind of ulterior motive, which, you know, for me, you know, looking at diversity and inclusion in our country, that I thought that it was important for folks like me to help normalize the idea of being bicultural or multicultural as mm -hmm. an American experience. And so I, I put it all together and I started making little videos. Like most people on TikTok, uh, it was more just kind of for fun and just sort of a creative exercise. I was not expecting to, as the kids like to say, blow up. <laughs> well, let's play an example because I think there is one here that really encapsulates all the things you were just talking about. And it is of you going grocery shopping. So here's an example of your Korean dad. Hey, I'm your Korean dad. We're at the Korean grocery store. These grapes look nice. They're just $30. $30. I had to try it. Okay, I brought them home. What do you think $30 grapes taste like? First of all, they come in a little boat. Toot toot. How do you open this thing? Toot toot toot. Like these things always have a lot of packaging. Okay. Okay, moment of truth. Which one should I eat? Should I eat this one? This one? Okay. $30 grapes. Here we go. Wow, really sweet, really grapey. I think these are the best grapes I've ever had. Here, you try one. Ah. Uh... <laughs> We're talking with Nick Show, creator of the popular Your Korean Dad TikTok account about TikTok fame and the community he's found on the app. And uh, are you a fan of Nick Cho? If you are, give us a call. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Or tell us how you use TikTok, what you like about it, or what questions you have about being a creator for Nick mm -hmm. Cho. One of the things I love about that TikTok that we just heard is that you're you're sort of commenting on the absurdity and inaccessibility of $30 grapes. You sort of mentioned the packaging, but it's always in this really positive way. Is that an, an important piece of this for you? It, it's so funny, that video that you played. I mean, that we were talking about community when it, with earlier with Taylor and Rebecca Jennings. And, you know, there that was one of those where I looked in the comments, you know, a few days later, and I looked, oh, Lizzo commented on that video. And wow. and part of the little thing there interactively was, was that, I don't know if you heard, like, you know, I said, do you want me to eat this one, this one? I'm pointing at different grapes on yes. the bunch. And then, you know, I go back and I pick the second one that I ate and a lot of people in the comments were like, that was the one that I picked. And Liz, for the artist Lizzo to comment like, me too, that's the one I picked too. <laughs> it was one of those kind of, wow, what's happening here kind of moments for sure. Yeah. So when did you realize that there was something to your Korean dad that was really having a strong impact on people? What are the things that you've heard about what it means to them? Yeah, you know, after everything that we've been talking about, one of the things that really struck me just kind of watching my two teenage daughters on TikTok 
and just the way that we engage our phones in general, I realized that whatever content I was making, I was entering a very intimate space. We take our phones everywhere. We take our phones and look at our phones, you know, and have hold them closer than we would most, you know, most people would be comfortable having anyone else be. And we take them to places that we wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable having someone right there like that. It's a super intimate kind of space. And so for me, I thought like, well, I want to honor that intimacy and that kind of personal space and engage in a way that is ultimately going to be something positive, something, you know, wholesome and uh, hopefully family friendly. And, you know, this is just part of an extension of me being a dad. Again, I have two teenage daughters. And in a lot of ways, it's just kind of how I am as a dad. What do your teenage daughters think of your fame? (laughs) They think it's funny. I mean, I, I, as you can imagine, teenage daughters, they're almost 16. And, and my older daughter, Madeline, just turned 18. And, you know, I ask them, they're my reality check. So I say, like, you know, how how do you feel about this? Is this one of those situations where <laughs> they're going to look at me and go, oh, if everyone just you know, knew the truth about you and how whatever, whatever. <laughs> you know, they I've asked them and they said, well... Yeah, it's a reflection of you. It's a two-dimensional version of you. We get the three-dimensional version, mm. but but that it's a fair it's a fair sort of uh, a facet of of what I what I am, I guess. Well, let's get another two-dimensional version of Nick Cho here. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna play a clip of um, your TikTok, actually, the whole thing since they're so short, uh, of your trip to New York because your dad energy is particular dad-ish here. <laughs> so let's hear it. Hey, I'm the Korean dad. We're totally vaccinated and you want to go on a trip, so here we go. Can you guess where we're going? Wheels up. This flight's a few hours, so I packed a sandwich for both of us. Chalmokja. Mmm. We made it. That was a long flight. You must have to pee. You go first, I'll wash the luggage, okay? Got a rental car. We're almost there. Here we are, we made it. Look where we are. We're in New York. Again, Nick Cho, your Korean dad. I love the way that you incorporate Korean into your TikToks because it really does, as you say, just show people bicultural identities that are across America and so much part of the American identity. One of the things I was thinking about when I was watching that TikTok and you were in New York was I was wondering, do you get recognized a lot now? And, <laughs> and how do you manage that? It's it's. I do get recognized from time to time. I'm learning how to kind of engage folks in those moments because, you know, it's a thing that, you know, a few people out there, some people have that kind of experience. But, you know, it's like any other kind of interaction where immediately I'm sort of flooded with this feeling of like, what is the right thing for me to do? Like, what is the best way for me to kind of maximize this opportunity for this person to kind of engage me? Like, do they want me to take a selfie with them? Do they want, you know, whatever? And so it, it, it's it's been funny. But, you know, it's one of those things, like, you know, we are talking about with Rebecca Jennings earlier, you know, this idea of creating, you know, more sort of micro-celebrities or such is something that I worry about a lot, not just being a dad on on the platform and creating content, but just thinking about health and well-being for the community, especially all the young people on on the platform, and the ways that these uh, these platforms, these these you know social media platforms like TikTok and else and others, the ways that it does rely on a lot of young people to you know create content and and get out there, but 
is it in a way that's really prioritizing and taking into account people's health and safety and well-being? Mm-hmm. Or is it a situation where, you know, we're creating a new labor class of, you know, content creators and they'll get chewed up and spit out? Wow, it's interesting you take all of that into consideration, but not surprising because there really is this element of nurturing, caring, but also concerns about equity and justice on your TikToks. And you really feel it when you're telling LGBTQ kids, for example, or people with disabilities that you love them and that you see them and so on. Speaking of seeing, Anthony wants to know, can you view your TikTok videos without installing the app on your phone? Almost definitely. You can go to TikTok.com. And most of the things you do on the app, you can do through the website. And they're adding more features all the time. And earlier, we had this question from Zach for for both TikTok creators, you and Taylor Cassidy. But Zach wanted to know what's been the most rewarding part of being a TikTok creator. I think definitely the most rewarding part is, you know, like you, Mina, and and others, like the producers who are at KQED listening, I mean, you're putting content out into the world. And each one of us, we get feedback from folks saying, like, this meant so much to me. It was like you made this content just for me. You made this show or this topic just for me is exactly what I needed. Right now, you know, you would, I think you would agree that that's such a special opportunity that folks like us have. It's a privilege and an honor, but it's a big responsibility. And ultimately, like kind of creating those moments and realizing that, you know, we're all human beings. We have these technologies and such that, you know, allow us to connect. But that connection part and how we do it, like that's what it's really all about. We're talking with Nick Cho, creator of the popular Your Korean Dad TikTok account about TikTok fame and the community he's found. And also, if you want to join the conversation, you can always do that at 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. I do want to ask you about a more serious TikTok that you did. And it was it was tagged with hashtag, your Korean dad, hashtag stop Asian hate. And I want to mm. play a little bit of this for our listeners. Hey, I'm your Korean dad. Do you ever feel like you're really trying to help people? That everybody's talking about what it means to be a supporter and ally of people going through tough times. And you just want to be one of those people who's showing support and sympathy. But when you do, the people who you're trying to be there for, they don't always seem to want your help. Or that what you're doing is somehow making them more upset. Yeah, I know what that can feel like. The thing is, when people are hurting, like really, really hurting, it's like being in a deep pit of sad. And sometimes, no matter what your intentions are, the stuff that you do and say, it just falls into that pit and can actually add to the sadness. I'm pretty sad this week, and I'm trying really hard to be there for you and for other people. But sometimes things happen that are so sad and heartbreaking, and maybe we can't help you help us. Nick Joe, can you talk a little bit about when you did this TikTok? What was happening at the time? It was about a week after the Atlanta shootings. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of um, Asian, Asian Americans, I think that it, it was a really confusing time and a f- time of a lot of different emotions. But what I was observing was a lot of folks trying to navigate this idea of what it means to be an ally to folks, you know, people who weren't Asian American, in a lot of ways informed by you know, what people have learned through Me Too and through Black Lives Matter, that, you know, how do you show up for other folks in your community, your friends, and sometimes your family? And, you know, with me and TikTok and a lot of the content, I'm really trying to find that top, those topics and that content, those, those ideas that maybe 
don't uh, always make it to the surface. In other words, they don't always find a voice to give mm-hmm. voice to things that aren't really brought up. And so just this, the complexity of that idea that I, I want to help someone, I want to be there, like I, I'm supposed to call up my Asian American friends and ask them how they're doing. And then when it doesn't go well, then it can feel confusing. But the fact is that, you know, we're all, every community is inherently diverse. The Asian American community in a lot of ways is the most diverse of all sort of racial group communities. And that when we're talking about like, here's what you do for this kind of person, that it doesn't always land the way that we expect. And that's something in turn that maybe we should learn and expect as well. Yeah, so encapsulated by that very last part of your TikTok that says, and maybe we can't help you help us. We're talking with Nick Cho, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Some have likened you, Nick Cho, to Mr. Rogers or a Mr. Rogers-like <laughs> character. What do you What do you think about that? Uh, when when that was first brought up to me, it, it, it my face just like went flush, and I just felt a lot of feelings because Mr. Rogers has been a a big hero of mine, you know, maybe the number one hero in a lot of ways for my my whole life. And the thing about Mr. Rogers for me, it's, you know, for a lot of people see him as kind of a wholesome, very sweet guy who's really there for young people. For me, I see a a fierce, uncompromising advocate for the health and well-being of young people. Um, you know, if, if for folks who are older, you know, like me and maybe you, Mina, I mean, we remember back, you know, stories about Mr. Rogers, like testifying in front of Congress, you know, trying to save public public broadcasting, but also, you know, outright being very vocal against like, you know, toy guns and the militarization of a lot of toys and things like that. You know, he wasn't cool in that way. And so for me, it's it's really thinking about this idea of, you know, what does 2021 version of that look like? What are the things that we need to be uncompromising about as much as we're trying to embrace diversity and different opinions? Where is that line drawn? And what does it mean for me to show up and fight for those things? So in that way, like, I I hope that, you know, I, I don't think I'm the new Mr. Rogers, but the fact that people bring it up at all, that, you know, I hope that I can just live up to at least their expectations in that way. Well, this listener writes, I'm curious how Nick Cho decided to coin the, hi, I'm your Korean dad with the wave and really shaping the character. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, pretty much every video I've done since, you know, over the last year starts with that. And it starts with this little, some people think it's a wave. It's really meant to be a head pat and some people kind of get it. Um, I Ever since I was a kid, I just really liked when my mom touched the top of my head for some reason. It was a mm. thing that was very soothing. And so it was something that I wanted to pass on. But also, you know, this is a little bit of the, of the how the sausage is made. TikTok, there is, you know, we talk about algorithms. We talk about platforms. You know, grabbing people's attention and getting them to watch your whole video. Like, how can I do that? but not have it be kind of gross and manipulative, you know, clickbaity kind of thing. And so I came up with this little greeting that is the first time you see it, it kind of makes you go like, wait, what? (laughs) What just happened? And, you know, makes you want to find out like what this guy's all about. (laughs) And so that's that maybe is a little bit of the kind of marketing sort of business person, you know, that hat that I've worn, you know, running a coffee company for so many years. But yeah, that's where that comes from. Is it still fun for you or... Is it a lot of work? I, I can imagine that there's a lot of pressure after you develop such a big following since you have more than 2 million followers. Yeah, uh, 
it's something that again you know for, for me actually like, i may think a lot about other other younger people who who are going through this process when you, you know, it's not something that's discussed very much but I'll, i'm happy to share that when you are someone who suddenly gains a really large following on a platform like this there's this anxiety that kicks in and it's something that i've shared and talked about with a lot of like dozens of other content creators it's something that's a universal experience for people with like hundreds of thousands if not millions of followers which is it almost feels like you know you know those those movies or tv shows where some there's an alien sort of drops off some kind of valuable package some kind of superpower thing or something and the earthling is trying to figure out like how do i how do i take care you know how do i do justice to this amazing power but the thing is very often it's very anxiety inducing i've had friends who have gone into therapy specifically because they blew up on tiktok you know and folks listening might think like roll their eyes and go oh my goodness like are you kidding it's like an embarrassment of riches thing but the fact is that when something like this happens that's not something that anyone's prepared for. It does feel like there's this door that way that opens, you know, to this Wah! like kind of like shining like treasure room and that you don't know when it's going to close. Hmm. You don't know if it's for you. You don't know really what to do. And there's not a lot of people out there who can help or are interested in helping. You just have a lot of other people who want stuff from you now that you're allegedly famous. And so with these platforms generating more and more hundreds of these this type of phenomenon like you know every few days i feel like it's a thing that that ultimately our society and culture is going to have to figure out how to you know how to deal with well, Amy writes, this show is great, and I always love hearing Mina Kim crack up. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. I've never looked at TikTok, so it's fun to learn about it. I have no desire to lose hours looking at it, but I can totally envision a podcast that discusses it just like your show. Is there one? I love your Korean dad, and I loved the Don't Call My Phone. I'm still cracking up over it. Thank you for the morning chuckles. At the very least, Nick Cho, it sounds like it's made you hopeful about the country and about the path that we're on in terms of the type of reaction you get to your Korean dad. You just have 10 seconds. Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, these are, you know, platforms are platforms. It's all about how people use them, and I hope people use them in healthy, productive ways. Nick Cho, your Korean dad, thanks so much. Thanks also to Leslie Cosme-Torres and Ariana Prayal for co-producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.